This morning we continue our series of messages, Enemies of the Heart, as we look at four emotions that I would say pollute or can contaminate our hearts. Um, But before we go there, just if you weren't part of our service last Sunday, uh, we saw around 25 people give their lives to Christ in 100 baptisms last Sunday at Dad Fest. Uh, It was a great, great Sunday. And we give praise to Jesus for that. It was an incredible day to watch the Lord work in people's hearts and the Holy Spirit come down upon the place in a powerful way. It was uh, thanks for all those who served and were part of that Sunday. Today we're going to look at another emotion, an enemy of the heart. We've looked at guilt. Guilt says, I owe you. We looked at jealousy, which says, God owes me. And today we're going to look at this emotion that can contaminate our hearts, which is greed. Greed says, I owe me. I deserve this. I've earned this. This is what I've worked towards, and so this should be mine. Greedy people would rarely acknowledge that they struggle with greed. And sometimes we have to really be careful. It can be hidden and disguised into good things. And throughout this message today, just hold on until the end, you will see that greed is more prevalent than probably what we realize it is. Greed has its impact in our lives and it's masked often by saying these kinds of things. I am planning for the worst or I live my life with just in case this happens mantra. Greedy people can be collectors and it's hard to get them to to part with their money and stuff. And you might ask why. The why behind that is they are scared to lose it and often hides behind several good virtues, which are good virtues. Greedy people can be savers, planners, and they want to have a good financial future. However, if it shifts from having being wise in the resources that God has given us into a whole different category of being fearful that this could take place, and the reason I'm saving is because I want to be in control of my life, we have easily slipped into the emotion of greed. And I would say this, greedy people can be poor people and they can be rich people. Greed is not a financial issue, it's an issue of the heart. I want to give you an example, I think it's a great example, and it's one that's written by uh, Andy Stanley on this topic of the many resources that I've been using. He says this, and this gives us a clear example of greed sometimes mask in stewardship. Listen to what he says. He says, I know a bit more about this than I would like to admit. In fact, I distinctly remember the first time I was confronted with my greed. I was 27 years old and working as a student pastor at my dad's church. I wasn't making a lot of money, and if anyone had accused me of being greedy, I would have laughed at them. The incident took place during our summer camp. As it happened, I was the worship leader for the week, which required me to bring my guitar to camp with me. But I didn't want a bunch of teenagers touching my precious guitar. So I brought two guitars. One I kept on stage, and the other one, the nice one, the one that was the extension of me, I kept locked in a case off to the side. And any time a student asked me if he or she could play my guitar, I would say, sure. And then I would point to the cheap guitar I left on stage. Pretty good system. Actually, I saw it as good stewardship. 
I was protecting an asset God had given me to manage. About halfway through the week, however, a kid walked up and asked if he could play my good guitar. The jig was up. They were on to me. I remember standing there trying to come up with a plausible reason why that wasn't such a good idea. I considered lying and telling him that I left the key to the case in my cabin. Greed will make you do that kind of stuff, you know. But because I was there to teach kids not to lie, I swallowed hard, forced a smile, and said, sure. I carefully lifted my precious guitar out of its case and handed it gingerly to the lanky eighth grader. He sat down and began playing while I stood there right beside him. After a few minutes, I realized how stupid I must look. So I wandered off to another part of the room, pretending to be busy, but all the time keeping my eyes on little Eddie Van Halen and my good guitar. Well, as fate or God or bad luck would have it, somebody ran into the room yelling for the kid to hurry out to do something, and he jumped up, leaned my guitar against a railing, and hustled toward the door. As he bounded down the steps from the stage, I watched in horror, helpless, as my good guitar slowly toppled sideways and crashed to the stage floor. When I reached it, there was a dent in the wood and a scratch about an inch long. I was devastated. My perfect guitar wasn't perfect anymore. I was so mad. I wanted to strangle the kid. And then it hit me. I was far far more concerned with the condition of my guitar than I was of the soul of that young man. My heart was exposed. I was so ashamed of myself. I wasn't just being careful. I had a greed problem. I placed greater value on a possession than on a person. That's the nature of greed. Here's the real irony of the story. That kid who was responsible for dinging my guitar, grew up to become one of the most sought-after worship leaders in America. Not only that, but he has written some of the today's most popular worship songs. His name is Todd Fields. Jesus has something to say about greed. And this account that we're going to look at will really hit to the heart and have you asking questions that it has me asking questions this week. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 12. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. Grab your Bible or your mobile device and turn to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to read verses 13 to 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Would you stand with me as we read this together? Luke chapter 13, or Luke chapter 12, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Let's read this together. Ready, read. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. 
I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will demand it from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. You may have a seat. Let me begin with this statement. Greedy people believe that they deserve every good thing that comes their way. Greedy people believe that they deserve every good thing that comes their way. Now, if you look at this account again, Jesus is working his way through the crowd, as he often did. And as he's walking through the crowd, there's this person that just shouts out. Someone shouts out and says, teacher, Jesus, master, tell my brother to share or divide the inheritance that I have privy to and he is privy to or whomever else is with me. So this person is in the crowd and they yell out, suppose it was a man, he yells out to Jesus, tell my brother that however he's doing this is what he's saying, I'm not getting a fair share or he's saying, I wanna make sure I get a fair share. So Jesus is walking through the crowd and as he hears this, he stops and he hears this guy who has been handed this inheritance probably from his family. He's either upset or he wants to make sure he gets what he's earned or what he should get. And so Jesus responds to him. Look at Jesus' response. He says this, Jesus replied in verse 14, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your what? Guard against all kinds of what? Greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of what? Possessions. So he's looking at this man who's crying out. He says, be careful. Watch out. And while you want me to do that, I want you to know that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So be very careful. And then, true account, he responds as he often does with a story. Jesus says, let me tell you this story. In his response, he spells out this case scenario of someone who had a lot. But he tells them, watch out. But truthfully, have any of you, and most of you have, and some of you have, I should say, have you ever stood in the center or walked into a home of a place where someone you love has passed away and you are the recipient of their inheritance and it's your responsibility, most likely with your siblings or your mother or your father or or someone else to divide what is left, to share what's left because you and they have inherited it. Have you ever stood and seeing someone's collection from life now handed off to you. In the last two years, I've had that happen twice to me, once with my father. And I remember walking into my dad's house. It's an interesting feeling, number one, to walk into an empty house without the person there. And I remember standing in my dad's house, and instantly memories flash through my mind, incredible memories of this relationship that I had with my dad. 
we walked through the rooms. I stood in the front room, and remember where Dad talked there, where he told stories here. And I walked into the living room, which was loaded. If you, if you ever met my father, his value was in his family. A room probably had 100 pictures of his kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. He valued family. Walked to the kitchen, and he was a simple man, lived a simple life. Went into his bedroom, opened up his closet, and there stood his polo shirts. And walked to another room that was a bedroom that we would sleep in when we came. And then walked into another room that had his golf clubs and his golf shoes. And, and I was one of the siblings that was there to help share these things that were passed down to us. I remember as we're navigating through this time, saying this to my three sisters, wanting to pave the way. I said this, I don't need anything. To be quite frank, my my dad gave me everything I needed. (laughs) And while he was alive, I still have the memories of him. And the greatest gift, I remember telling my sisters, the greatest gift dad ever gave us was when he trusted in Jesus Christ. And as I stood In this simple collection of my father's collections, I said this, I really don't care what you give me. I don't need anything because all that dad gave me was enough. And I remember as we were navigating through what cash reserves that my father had and his checkbook, and I remember saying the same thing, just saying, you know what, I'm okay if I get nothing because dad left us so much already. It's an interesting thing to stand in the midst of what's, what was your father's and it's being passed down to you. It was a great time for our siblings to walk through that time and to do it in such a way where there weren't, wasn't arguing or fighting or wanting more or less. And any time there came something that someone wanted, I would just hand it off to them. The thing I walked away with, I remember standing there, the thing that I wanted was his golf bag. Because I had so many good memories of playing golf with him. Then I stood in the home of my mom who had been placed into a home because of Alzheimer's. And my stepfather was moving in with my sister. And we were selling all that they had, taking the resources that were there so that could help care for mom's uh, care and my stepfather's care and walking through rooms and and putting things in a garage and everything that they had ever collected was in their home and we're having an estate sale and things that were they paid hundreds of dollars for now being sold for a dollar and two dollars and the thought occurred to me all these things that we've collected all these things that we thought were valuable really aren't as valuable as we think they are And the most important thing are the people behind the stuff. And Jesus is looking at this this man in the crowd. He says, be careful. Watch out, Grace Community Church. Be on guard, Grace Community Church, that the abundance of possessions doesn't become more valuable than people. You see, the reason we struggle in this area, is because there is a fear in us. And fear is the driving force behind greed. And here's how it goes. What if there's not enough when I'm this age? What if it gets lost? What if I don't get my fair share? You see, people that are greedy have this fear lodged in their hearts. They fear that either God can't or won't take care of them or 
It's their responsibility only to supply their needs. Paul had so many good things to say about that in his epistles. And in Philippians, Paul said this, my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You see, those are the truths and the promises of God's word that we must go back to. You see, for the greedy person, stuff is their life, and their stuff is an extension of who they are, and they guard it like their future depends on it. Greedy people somehow believe that he has earned or worked his way on his own to have his stuff. And here's what happens. They often have a supersized view of ownership that says, I owe me. Why? Because I worked hard. I earned this. I invested this. I was wise. I was a good steward. They have this view of themselves that has been elevated. I owe me mentality. Now, by the way, I know people who are poor that are greedy and people that are rich that are greedy. Greed has nothing to do with your financial condition. It has everything to do with your heart. Financial gain does not make greedy people less greedy. There's some symptoms and characteristics of greedy people, and I just jotted down a few. Greedy people talk a lot and worry a lot about money. Greedy people aren't cheerful givers. Greedy people are reluctant to share. Greedy people are often poor losers. Greedy people argue over insignificant amounts of money. Greedy people talk as if they have just enough to get by. Greedy people won't let you forget what they've done for you. Greedy people are often reluctant to express gratitude. Greedy people aren't content with what they have and attempt to control people with their money. You know, I read this quote this week, and it's pretty powerful. And this author said, a greedy person and a pauper are practically one and the same. Both think they, what they have is not enough. Here's what I know what Jesus was saying in this account. He's saying this, an abundance of stuff does not guarantee an abundance of time. Our wealth does not and cannot and will not buy another day of life. Look at this account again. So Jesus tells this story, and then he says this in verse 16 as he tells this story, because this man is asking this question. And Jesus told this parable in verse 16. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my what? What's the word? Barns. And I will build what kind of barns? Bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. So this man, in the story that Jesus is talking about, he had an abundant crop and he had an excess. And as soon as this excess came, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build bigger barns. He had bigger barn syndrome. I'm going to build more so that I'll have some just in case. 
and I can then have it and use it. And look what he says again. He says, I will store my surplus grain in 19. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. The first thought that comes to mind when I read this, you may say, that really doesn't connect with me. But I bet it does. Because our bigger barn syndrome today are storage units. They're everywhere. We store stuff. We put it away just in case. Or for one day. One day I'll have it just, just in case this takes place. And so we have these storage units. And if you're an investor, invest in storage units. Because people save, collect, dust-filled places. And you will see people buying barns and sheds and loads of stuff that sits and sits and sits for what? Just in case. Ask this question to yourself this morning. If you were handed an unexpected amount of wealth, what would you do with it? Someone passes away or someone that you didn't know, God had laid something on their heart. What would you even do? Do you even know? Would you say, I'm going to put it in a barn. I'm going to store it away. I'm going to bank it. I'm going to let it draw interest. What would you do? Like if you don't have some prayerful plan of what to do with it, then you could end up right where this man here ended up. One day he says, I might need it, so it needs stored away. You see, it might get masked as you look at this account by us saying, we are saving it just in case. Yet it really can be a small case of hoarding. And imagine, if you don't need it, how could it be used for someone else that has less? Every time I watch American Pickers, one of my favorite shows, by the way, I, I enjoy watching it. And I watch Frank and walk in and into these places and, and take a look. And Mike, and they walk in. And then when I see these, these barns that are loaded with stuff, like, I, I remember this, they went to this, this small town in the Midwest, and this guy had, he had bought the whole town, basically. And inside of this town were motorcycles piled on top of motorcycles, piled on top of motorcycles, dust collected, 10 sheds full. Of, now, I remember thinking, and they were asked, would you be willing to sell? No, I don't want to give up that one. You want to sell? No, I don't want to sell that one. I don't want to sell it. And I thought of this count here. He is no different than the building barn syndrome here. And I got to ask, why? Why do we want to collect? Why? And I often think, when I see case scenarios of these people hoarding, the thing that happens, you will die. And when you die, you leave all that stuff behind for your children to sort through. And they end up getting a penny on the dollar instead of you resourcing it out and using it for greater things. This farmer's response was, I'll save for the future. You see, he forgot another thing too. He wants to be secure in his future. And he thinks he has security for many years. Nothing intrinsically wrong with investing and planning for your kids. If the story ended here, I would say this man is blessed, has the favor of God on him, 
And this is how we should live too. Work, plan, save, security. Yet Jesus says, that's not entirely good. The farmer did not plan ahead. He did plan ahead, but not far enough ahead. In fact, he was planning for years he didn't have coming to him. I really don't think God longs us to ever quit serving him in any capacity. In fact, look at verse 19. The farmer, the landowner says this. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Or I will spend the last years of my life collecting seashells on the seashore. Let me tell you something. Please, don't end up like this farmer. No matter what you do, no matter what that next step is after employment, always be ready and willing to recognize that we are here to point people to Jesus Christ. And we are here to make disciples. We are here, here to tell, help the lost get saved. He forgot one valuable truth, as many greedy people do. He forgot this. The crop that he had, the bumper crop that he had, was a result of God making it happen. And now his future, too, would be controlled by God. And he is the one who numbers our day. Think about this for a second. He dismissed the fact that's very important. God ultimately controls everything greedy people have. And they often overlook the God factor. And they think the reason they have so much is because of them. Well, I have good news for you today. Farmers, praise God for farmers. And if you've ever talked to a farmer who understands the God factor, he recognizes this. They plant the seed. They dig the soil. They fertilize the soil. But God makes the seed grow. It's the same for us. You might think that everything that you've earned or have, all your abilities and gifts, guess who they come from? They come from God. And the reason we find success, the reason we find excess, the reason the crop grows, the reason there's abundance isn't because of us only. It's because God waters. God makes it grow. And this farmer forgot that. As he began to draw the plans for his new barns, I mean, picture him. Jesus tells the story. And to store up his extra crop, he assumed his abundance of stuff assured him in an abundance of time. Think about it. He's leaving Chore Time Brock in Milford. He's excited. He's heading north up 15. He's got the drawings of these incredible new silos that will store this bumper crop for many years. He's excited. The drawings are on the, the, the seat behind side him, and he's had a great meeting. They've signed the contract. He can now build new barns, and he's set for life. And on the way, he's thinking, I can't wait to tell my wife. And so he, his phone looks down on his smartphone. He's thinking about his wife to call her, and it's her. And he picks it up, and he's ready, babe, I got the drawings. Big barns, bigger barns. 
And she says, honey, can I tell you something? I got good news and I got bad news. It's like most dudes, give me the bad news first. She says, I just got a doctor's report that says, you got one day to live. Wait, but I got all this stuff and had all these plans. And Jesus says, your abundance of possessions and excess will not guarantee you an abundance of time. So while you're living, make sure greed doesn't set in. Manage his resources in a godly way. You see, Job 14.5 says this, a person's days are determined. You, God, have decreed the number of months. You have set limits that we cannot exceed. Jesus is telling us that life is not the equivalent of the amount of possessions. This man will run out of time before he runs out of possessions. Too bad he didn't see this before it's too late. So Jesus goes on and he asks this question. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Question mark. Someone else will. Verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for what? What's it say? Themselves, but is not rich toward who? God. Can you picture this man that's standing on the side of the road yelling at Jesus, and he's hearing this story, and he's like, what? what?" And all of a sudden, he's convicted. And Jesus said, be very careful. Watch out. Grace community, watch out. Don't let greed surface in your heart. Don't you dare think that because you have this at the end of your life, you've earned this, you've saved, you've done this, you've done the right things, that somehow because you've done all the right things in your mind and you haven't been rich towards God, that somehow when you get to the end, whatever that is, the time that you want to eat, drink, and be merry, that it will be there. Because if we haven't managed God's blessings and abundance the way that he wants us to, Jesus says you'll come to the end and you'll lose all of it. Someone else will receive what you have worked hard and you thought was yours. One person said it this way, either we give it away while we have time or it will be given away when our time expires. You see, if our eagerness to store up outpaces our willingness to give out, we will end up with a loss. Isn't that what the Bible says? Give, and it will be given back to you. You know, one of the things I know in my 56 years of life, some of the most generous people in the world are also some of the most giving people in the world. People who give understand generosity. And here's the principle. It says you give and it'll be given back. It becomes a point where you just keep giving and helping the kingdom of God and helping people and giving to God. You can hardly stop the overflow, the outpouring that God brings back to you. You see, if everything we claim to own becomes an issue of greed, then one day it will be owned by someone else. It's not a matter of whether someone else will get it. It's a matter of when and how they will get it. There's a story that's told by 
John MacArthur in one of his books that really captures what we're talking about here. Listen to this true account. Homer and Langley Collier were sons of respected New York doctor. Both had earned college degrees. In fact, Homer had studied at Columbia University to become an attorney. When old Dr. Collier died at the early part of the century, his sons inherited the family home estate. The two men, both bachelors, were now financially secure. But the Collier brothers chose a peculiar lifestyle not at all consistent with the material status their inheritance had given them. They lived in almost total seclusion. They boarded up the windows of their house and padlocked the doors. All their utilities, including water, were shut off. No one was ever seen coming in or going out of the house. From the outside, it appeared empty. Though the Collier family had been quite prominent, almost no one in the New York society remembered Homer and Langley Collier by the time World War II ended. On March 21, 1947, police received an anonymous telephone tip that a man had died inside the boarded-up house. Unable to force their way in through the front door, they entered the house through a second-story window. Inside, they found Homer Collier's corpse on a bed. He had died clutching the February 22, 1920 issue of the Jewish Morning Journal, though he had been totally blind for years. This scene was set against an equally grotesque backdrop. It seems the brothers were collectors. They collected everything, especially junk. Their house was crammed full of broken machinery, auto parts, boxes, appliances, folding chairs, musical instruments, rags, assorted odds and ends, and bundles of old newspapers. Virtually all of this was worthless. An enormous mountain of debris blocked the front door. Investigators were forced to continue using the upstairs window for weeks while excavators worked to clear a path to the front door. Nearly three weeks later, as workmen were still hauling heaps of refuge away, someone made a grisly discovery. Langley Collier's body was buried beneath a pile of rubbish some six feet away from where Homer had died. He had been crushed to death in a crude booby trap he had built to protect his precious collection from intruders. The garbage eventually removed from the Collier house totaled more than 140 tons. No one ever learned why the brothers were stockpiling their pathetic treasure except an old friend of the family that recalled that Langley once said he was saving newspapers so Homer could catch up on his reading if he ever regained his sight. Homer and Langley Collier make a sad but fitting parable of the way many people in the church live. Although the Collier's inheritance was sufficient for all their needs, they lived their lives in unnecessary self-imposed deprivation, neglecting abundant resources that were theirs rightfully theirs to enjoy. Homer and Langley instead turned their home into a squalid dump. Spurning their father's sumptuous legacy, they benched instead on the scraps of the world. You see, he who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. Here's what Jesus is saying to you and I today, Grace. If we are generous savers and not generous givers... 
then we probably are struggling with greed. He is saying, we will suffer a complete loss when our time runs out. And he even says that we are fools to live that way. Some of us might even envy this incredible, abundant, resourced man. You see, he was fool enough to believe that good fortune was a product of his own hard work and nothing else. He was a fool not to be generous and give his extra to those that needed it while he was alive because one day when he was dead, it would all be taken from him and it will be taken from you. I love this quote that I read this week. It's very convicting. This author said this. We know what to do when a burglar makes the demand of us. Your money or your life. But we don't when God does. You see, if we're completely honest with ourselves like this farmer, then we probably struggle with some greed. If we're attaching too much ownership and any ownership to possessions. Let me tell you something. Nothing that you and I have is ours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We are just managers. So if we somehow think, wow, I'm a good worker. I was a good investor. I'm smart. I'm a, I'm a good entrepreneur. If you somehow think that it's because of you only, then you have a problem with greed. And we know what happened to this man here. Generous giving, then, will break the grip of greed on your life. You see, what can we see from this story? God says it's greed if you hold on to it for yourselves. The answer, the remedy to breaking this, 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 this toxin in our hearts is to give. Giving helps us see the difference between our needs and our greeds. You must begin with this question. Here's where, here's where you begin. Begin with asking this question. Why do I have so much? Have you ever asked that question? Why is it that I am so blessed? Why is it that when I'm 60 years old, 65 years old, 55 years old, that I got to the end and I have all this? Why is it that I have it and they don't? You have to ask the question. You have to ask, God, why is it that I have so much? You must ask that question. And by the way, you probably have more than your parents did. Plus, our desire for stuff can never be fully satisfied. We must hit the pause button and ask this question frequently because daily we get bombarded by culture and consumerism that keeps telling us and showing us what we don't have. Doing nothing for others is the undoing of ourselves. You see, when we focus on what we don't have, it opens our hearts towards greed. Let me ask again this question because it's convicting. The farmer believed that it was for him. Why do you have so much? He thought he deserved it. 
when in reality, it was the providence of God in his life. Yes, the farmer planted, but God watered the seed, and God made it grow. And the second that you and I began to think, it's because I'm smart. I was a good investor. I was a good steward. The minute we think what we have is because of us, it's the minute that we have greed in our heart. There have been seasons, and you have to submit, in all of our lives, where we ask God, why don't we have God? Lord, how come I'm in lack? And we do it without hesitation. God, where are you at? How come I don't have? We, we, and we ask that without hesitation. And when we don't have enough, we wonder why. Don't we? Like, why, why don't I have? Yet why not wonder when we have more than enough? You might say, well, one of the reasons is to ensure our children have all that they need. That's a noble desire, but if that's the only reason, that's probably not why you have more than enough. Because generally leaving your children a lot of money doesn't set them up for success in life. And you might think, so you don't worry and have peace. That's why I want more. I want to be secure in my possessions. Is that really peace? When peace can be found in Jesus alone? That's probably not the answer either. Generally speaking, the more a person accumulates, the more worries they have. Maybe you might say it's to raise my standard of living. That's why I have more than enough. Probably not, but there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all, then there is something wrong with it. Or so that I can retire early, eat, drink, and be merry. Nothing wrong with retiring, but let me tell you, God's definition of retirement might be different than your definition of retirement. If you're still not actively serving God with all your gifts, talents, and abilities, and you're still not helping others, then the path that you're on, and it's not somehow affecting you, then you need to reevaluate why God has you. He doesn't have us here to be comfortable only. He wants us to be on the front line sharing the gospel. Here's why I believe that God has given us more than enough. So that you can be rich towards God and rich toward others. So that you can share your abundance to those in need. So whether or not you think you have extra, give. And give and give and give. And so people will say to me, Pastor Jim, but I don't have money to give. Well, maybe, just maybe, your pattern of consumption is more than your pattern of getting money in. And maybe the choices that you've made, the stuff that you think you need to make you happy is because you're a greedy person. And the reality is we have more than enough in Christ. Some will say this, Pastor Jim, yeah, but I wish I could give more, Pastor Jim. Like, if I had more money, I'd give more. Let me just say, if you're not giving a percentage to God now, you're not going to give more when you have more. How do you do it? You give a percentage. 
You start now. Your lifestyle, my lifestyle should be impacted somehow. We should feel the effects of helping other people, not building what we have only. We should feel the effects. And so you've heard it. (laughs) If you're not giving to God, then you're robbing God. (laughs) Minimum, I'd start at 10%. No matter what you're making, just give to God and build on that. Don't wait till God changes your heart to give. Give and it will change your heart. So become a percentage giver. Making more money will now allow you to give more. You see, if you are consuming and saving to the point that there's little or nothing to give, guess what? You're greedy. Take a look at your possessions. Maybe just maybe you need to walk in your garage, walk in your house, look at your house. Do you really? Now listen, there's nothing wrong with secondary homes. There's nothing wrong with vacation sites. My experience has always been those who give, 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 and serve. God just keeps giving, giving, giving back because they're generous. In this account, though, the farmer didn't come to grips with who the owner was. He thought he was the owner. Yet he isn't. And neither are we. God is the owner. We are the managers. And the moment we refuse to live that way, it will be a total loss to us, Jesus says. So when you receive that cash amount from someone, I hope your first thought is, isn't, I'm going to throw it in the bank. Save, 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 save. I'm going to get a bigger, bigger, bigger. I hope it is, God, what would you have me do with this? I lived in that world when my father left us an inheritance. He was a simple man. And it was divided amongst us. And my wife, who was just packed full of wisdom, made an incredible observation. She said, you know what, Jim? As I think about the money that that Dad Brown left, What would he want us to do with it? It's been an interesting journey watching that unpack. And our daughter, Hannah, was getting married. And and Ann came to me and she says, you know what, Jim? If Pappy Brown was alive, you know what he would do? He would give that money towards Hannah's funeral, his granddaughter. And so you know what we did? We gave it towards Hannah's wedding, I should say. I'm glad I'm not a prophet. (laughs) And so this money that, by God's grace, and by the way, the thing that my dad was, he was so generous. And I know some in this room. I look at him. I know who you are. My dad was one of the most generous people in the world. And the best way to keep his legacy alive was to continue to be generous with the resources that he had passed down to us. I've often wondered what happened to this man as he left after Jesus told this story. I wondered if he went back and what he did with that information with his brother. I wondered if it changed the direction of his life, and I wonder if it changed his heart. And then I wonder this. What will you do with this? 
Maybe you walk into your garage and say, man, I haven't used that tool forever. Maybe you walk over and you got seven cars and your neighbor needs one. Maybe you got this house and you realize, I don't need this house. Maybe you say, you know what, there's someone that's in need. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drive this car that I, all I've done is waxed it and, and polished it, and I'm going to drive it down to the neighbors who, who has a, a, a single mom. I'm going to knock on the door and say, here, here's the title and the keys. That's what you do to break the greed in your heart. Oh Lord, help us today. I pray that our hearts wouldn't be entangled in greed. I pray that we would be generous because you're so generous. Help us not to be like this farmer who had the bigger barn syndrome and ultimately thought his abundance of possessions would give him an abundance of time. Help us, God, to be rich toward others and to be generous givers. In Jesus' name, amen.